Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. This afternoon, I am going to teach about the blessing of the Lord. The blessing of the Lord. Because many of us, we use that statement praying for people, I bless you, I bless you. People bless you and you receive blessings. You bless the Lord in your worship. But many of us have not yet a deep understanding of what it means to be blessed or what the blessing of God represents. So today I wanted to take some time with you and engage you on this and I believe that you're going to be blessed. Uh -huh. In Genesis 12, portion of scripture, the Lord says to Abraham, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house and to a land that I will show thee. Verses 2 where I'm going to lay most of my emphasis for the rest of the service. He says, I will make thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. Did you hear that? I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. Then later he tells them, whoever blesses you, I shall bless and whoever curses you, I shall curse in thee. All families shall be blessed. So I want to have a conversation of the meaning to be blessed by God like he blessed Abraham and to be a blessing because he blessed Abraham. And I think that's one of the most fundamental reconcilers of truth, the cause and effect, the perfect balance in the law that governs blessings. You were blessed to be a blessing. You were blessed to be a what? A blessing. You're not just blessed to have a wonderful life, you're not just blessed to enjoy yourself. You are blessed to be a what? Blessing. Now I'm going to build from there. Now the two important words, one a root from the other, that I wanted to build my conversation on today because I believe it will help us understand this better. Now, what he says when he says, I will bless thee, the word there, I will bless thee. The Hebrew says, I have blessed thee. Not I will. The Hebrew says, I have blessed thee. Now the word there, blessed is the Hebrew, Barak. And Barak means to praise. Barak means to congratulate. Barak is a benediction. And Barak also means to cause to kneel. And I'm going to come to that a bit later. Let me begin with this most important one, praise. 
So when God wants to pronounce a blessing or when God intends to bless you, he blesses you by pronouncing praises into your destiny. And remember, the way of God is that he calleth the living from the dead or quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. He quickeneth the dead. He calleth the dead into the living. And it speaks of those things which be not as though they are. So God will not call you something because you are it. But he will call you something even before you manifest it or become it. Because he doesn't live in your time frame of yesterday, today and forever. He's an eternal being. So he doesn't look at yesterday and the future differently. They're all the same. So he says, I have blessed you. But how does he bless you? By pronouncing praise over you in the qualities in which area he has determined to speak good into concerning your destiny. For example, if you are chosen as a leader, okay, God does not say, I have blessed you as a leader. No, the language of God expresses the qualities in the identity of that leadership as praise over you. And as he praises that over your life, he has blessed you. You understand? You would sound like you're influential. You're wise. You carry true judgment. You're favored. You're graced. You're advantaged. You're underguarded. You're protected as a leader. That's him blessing you. You see? He offers praise into your destiny and speaks of things that be not as though they were. And as he proclaims those things over your life, he has blessed you or he is blessing you. You see? Like parents who are here, when you look at your child and you say, you are wise, you have blessed them. When you tell your child, you're great, you have blessed them. You don't need to say, I bless you. With what? You see? It's better to say, you are a success. As a parent, when you speak that over your child, you have blessed them. You excel in your education. Divine health is yours. As you proclaim those things, you are blessing them. You just speak praise. Or if you congratulate them over what they have not even yet achieved, then you say, wow, you have excelled in your exams. Even before they start excelling, you have blessed them. That's how God speaks. Wow, you finished well. Wow, you are a success. Wow, you're progressing. You're advancing. As God speaks that, that's him blessing you. Again, when you go back to one of my sermons on understanding witchcraft, biblical understanding. When I taught once, I taught about the biblical understanding concerning witchcraft because I would have taught about understanding how witchcraft works. So I taught a sermon on a biblical perspective on witchcraft because I know many people out there who are teaching witchcraft not from the biblical perspective but from their traditional, African traditional folklore, their stories. They teach it from the fallen world and from whatever they used to do and what the devil taught them about himself. And even before they learn fully who God is, their mind is still bent on what they learned of the devil when they were still in that world, and they import that in the church as truth. 
and then they destroy many. You see? It's like one time I was watching a documentary of this lady who was a devil worshiper, and then she said, oh, when we were in hell, Satan showed us that very few people go to heaven. Satan showed them that very few people go to heaven. You already find something wrong with that, don't you? Yeah, you do, but for her, she doesn't. So she said Satan showed them. In fact, in one year, Satan showed them that only three people made it to heaven out of all the people who died. So she was trying to warn the church that, you know, many people are born again, eh? but few are what? Going to heaven. One guy said, oh, he was in a vision and he was praying. And the Lord told him that in all of this stadium you're in, only one person is going to heaven. I said, that's a lie from hell. Because you see, you cannot claim extra biblical prophecy contradictory to biblical truth. The Bible has told us how people go to heaven. Very clear. <laughs> it has told us that if a man believes with his heart and confesses the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that man has eternal life. And if they die that very second, they're going to be in heaven. You see, so... I'm a bit slow on some people. So, well, she said, I saw only two people and three now. She's giving that as a testimony after salvation. And I'm thinking, mm, her pastor should have first grounded high enough and taught her biblical revelation. Firstly, to help her understand that Satan could not show himself a loser to his own agents. He had to show as though he was doing quite a lot of work. He had to confuse them that he was stronger than God. That's the only way they can follow him. They're not dumb. You see what I'm saying? So somebody needs to first help her mind reconcile truth so that she teaches from a perspective. Not everything they see there is true. Actually, Satan is the father of all lies. So everything is delusional and deceptive. So then how do you get that and bring it in the church and call it doctrine? And then use that as a foundation to teach and preach to people about God. You see what I'm saying? God would rather have us wise unto that which is good, the Bible says, and simple concerning evil. So that's why I don't like following those stories. Or when I hear them, I can easily tell and say, mm, here, this person needs help. They have not yet known God. Are you following what I'm saying? Like there was a Satanist, that former Satanist, says that for him, he used to come to church Okay? He says, when pastors are casting out devils, which is true, you would sit like in the back and receive, which is okay. Which is okay. Because that's the way he was strengthening himself. That's acceptable. You see what I'm saying? Now, we were raised in a church where they used to warn us that a demon can come out of one person and come into you. So the next thing you see when they're casting out devils, put on the armor of God. <laughs> So I asked one Christian one day and I said, so when do you put it off? When you go home and you're bathing, you put it off? And then wait for the next time when they're rebuking devils and you say, I put on the armor of God. Oh, when does it fall off? Breastplate of righteousness. When does righteousness fall off you? Sword of truth. When does truth leave you? Helmet of salvation. When does it fall off? Are you following what I'm saying? But some of you, once they start rebuking, you start dressing up. You even run away from the people, you say, ah, this thing, eh? No. If they used to go back in the believers, then the devil worshiper would not stand behind to get some. Common sense. Yes, he stands because they pass over you. And then they go looking for a guy who is ready to host them. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? So, 
Like you claim praise over somebody, so it is with, when I was teaching about witchcraft, I taught that speaking evil against somebody or into their future is witchcraft. To speak a curse, anathema over somebody is not different from a person who went to a witch doctor to bewitch a woman to die. Some of you think it's different. Me, I've never been to a witch doctor. Ah, but you are one. You pronounce curses over people every day. To speak a curse over somebody, according to heaven, is witchcraft. So sometimes when you hear me cast out, you spirit of witchcraft, it's not necessarily that these people went to what? To which doctor to bewitch some of you, but that somebody spoke something over your life and it is determining so much on your destiny and you don't and you see demons manifesting. That's why I warn you parents, you curse your children every day. And now your children have grown up or some of you have grown up and you're everything your parents spoke, everything they kept speaking, you disturb them. They say, I pray to God you also produce a child who will disturb you. That's a curse. You see? Anathema. Now, your children are disturbing you. Then you remember what your mother said. Some of you, you cast your children out of wedlock. You tell them you'll never marry. Let me see the man who will marry with your character. You pronounced it. You pronounced it. You don't want to work. You're going to suffer in this world. You pronounced it. So some of you who are here, you're everything your parents said when they were angry. You've started to see everything they pronounced on your life. It's following you one by one because they spoke in anger. And it's okay because they never knew better. You can understand and forgive. But some of you are even born again, but your mouths are so evil when it comes speaking on your children or other people's children. But you're doing witchcraft. The good news with that is when you become born again and a new creature, there is a way you can reverse it. There is a way you can what? You can reverse it. You remember when Jacob uh, stole Esau's birthright? You remember that story? And then Esau comes to his father and he says, thy brother has taken your birthright. And then he tells me, father, is there no blessing for me? And then his father said, okay, I'll give you the rest. He tells him that you shall serve your brother you shall do this, and, but you shall eat of the fatness of the land. He promised him blessing on the earth. In fact, later, if you see, when Esau met Jacob, Esau was rich because he was promised to eat of the dew of the earth. And his dwelling shall be a dwelling of fatness. But then he later tells him, but you shall serve your brother and he shall have dominion over you. But he says somewhere down there, and he says, but one day when you have dominion, you shall break his yoke off your neck. So Esau was not to stay under the dominion of Jacob until the day he leaves the earth. God told him one day when you have dominion, now the word there is when you mature spiritually, you'll claim back your grace and you'll break his yoke from off your neck. Okay? So by God, there is a way to break some of these things that your parents spoke over you. In fact, many of them I have personally dealt with when I'm praying for you. Because I'm also a parent. Spiritually. You understand, where they cast, I bless. 
Some of you, when I'm praying and you see demons screaming off you, some of them are not some witch doctor. No, they are words your parents spoke over you coming out. You see what I'm saying? So there is a way. When you study scripture, there is a way to take that off you. But otherwise, some of you, you'll never get married until you reverse that thing spiritually. Because they spoke it. They put it in the air. Somebody shout amen. You claim your right. You say, you know what? I'm a new creation. I refuse this. I cannot take that. That's the challenge I find with people who are preaching grace sometimes. I'm a grace preacher. I've been persecuted in this nation for preaching grace, and I'm not sorry, still do. But I see that we're not balancing grace with faith. I see that many people who are teaching grace are not balancing it with faith. And that is why we're now having a challenge with people who are preaching grace message, but they cannot heal the sick. They can't open blind eyes. The lamb cannot walk. Tumors cannot disappear, but they are preaching grace because they cannot balance it with faith. In understanding the finished work of Christ, they tend to assume that the Christian then assumes a passive life and waits for everything to be done because Jesus paid it all. Yet faith has a work. It has a work. It's something that you must learn to fight. The Bible says, fight the good fight of faith. And it says, lay hold of eternal life. Lay hold of eternal life. Don't I have eternal life? I do. So what is he saying by telling me to lay hold of what I already possess by Christ? He's saying, make it yours. The kingdom of God suffereth violence and the violent take it by force. Claim your right. Do not be silent. Otherwise, the devil can kill you. It's like, for example, it's a known truth that he was wounded for your transgressions and blues for your iniquities. The chastisement of his peace was upon you. By his stripes you were healed. That's a finished work. Jesus healed you. As Peter 24 says, by his stripes ye were healed. Okay? But then you wake up sick one day and you have a sickness in your stomach. Alright? Do you just let it be because by his stripes you were healed? No. You're required to fight and claim your right by God. The difference between the man of grace and the man of law is the man of the law prays as one trying to get healing. The man of grace prays as one who knows already healing is there and they're appropriating it into manifestation. You get the difference? So two men are doing the same thing. But one man is doing it out of the law and another man is doing it through the work of grace. Are you following what I'm saying? So you say, I refuse to be sick. Greater is he which is in me than he which is in the world. I was healed long ago. Satan, you have no right over this body. And as you're speaking that, the demon understands, oh, this person knows who they are and they flee. You are taking a hold of eternal life. You're fighting the good fight of faith. Why is it good? Because you win. Thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph and he maketh manifest the savour of his knowledge by us in every place. So you understand it. So don't lose sight of that. I just find that many of our grace people lose that. Grace labors as well. Paul says, I labored more than all my brethren, yet not I, but the grace of God that labored in me. So you don't think that, oh, we grace people just sit back, have simple who, because they're under grace, they don't pray. Jesus paid it all. Oh, ho. <laughs> Continue. Jesus who brought or came with grace was a praying man. Perhaps his grace and truth came by Jesus. He's the one who brought that idea you're toying with in your head. And this man every now and then when the disciples were asleep, the Bible says he went to a quiet place and prayed. A man of grace. And then you tell me, ah, me I'm under grace. Whether I pray, oh, I don't pray. Oh, 
Okay. Continue abusing the grace. Paul calls it receiving the grace of God in vain. He says, I didn't abuse it, but I labored more than all my brethren, yet not I, but the grace of God that labored abundantly in me. You see? It's a divine enablement, not an excuse to be indifferent. Somebody shout amen. So back to what I was saying. So some of you, you're dealing with things people spoke over you. You're going to fail. That's witchcraft. That's a witch doctor. 311. Completely. They just are not putting on like the one you see on television, but exactly because they're doing the very act of what they do in those shrines. Are you following? So, Barak speaks praise, congratulates you, and commands things into your destiny. It aligns your future through celebrating what you are before you become it. That is why that last part, to cause to kneel, right? There is a very indelible instruction of wisdom. And I learned that many, many years ago. That whenever a greater voice is speaking into your life, things that touch your destiny, it's wisdom sometimes or many times to kneel, especially when the Spirit tells you, go on your knees. You see? Do you understand what I'm saying? It causes you to kneel, to respond in spirit, to express your humility to the word being spoken because you respect what it's going to do into your destiny. When your heart is haughty, when it's proud and inflated with ego, you see, when the Bible says that the Lord exalts the humble, that he sees the proud from afar, what does that mean? See, a word can be spoken over your life, but not take its root and seed in you because you're proud. And pride, the Bible says, goes before a fall. Why? Because he knows the proud from afar. There are people God would want sometimes to help, but they're too proud to receive. Either through false humility, which comes from wrong teaching, or simply pride in their own nature. They're not yet transformed by the word. You see? That is why nobody greater has spoken over my life, especially when they're speaking into my days to come and I stayed on my feet. I always went on my knees. And I always tell people, these few inches will always be shorter than the hours you would lose if you don't receive some things. I once shared a story of when I was tired of poverty. I was tired of poverty. I don't know whether you've ever gotten tired of poverty. You even smell it and say, ah. <laughs> so I'd understood the laws that govern inheritance. And so I went to my father and mother and I said, when you die one day, I will not charge you if you never leave anything in my name. I want you to speak the blessing that will represent the portion of my inheritance given to me today and I'll be fine. So my father and mother were there and he told his wife, let's bless this guy. And I went on my knees and I spoke into my life and I saw wealth. I saw wealth from that day. 
You see, I saw wealth from that day. My father and mother blessing me, they released something on my life. I don't know how, but I started to see money I've not seen people my age have. You understand? Every business I have done since then has thrived. I'm a businessman. You see what I'm saying? But they could not pray when I'm standing up like this. Mm, yes, Father. Nah, nah, you go on your knees. You go on your knees. The men of God I honor, you've seen, when they pray over me, I go on my knees. Because they're speaking into my destiny. And they're causing something. They're redeeming a lot. And I tell people always that there are three ways you can access the graces that God has ordained for man. You're either born with something. God put it in your life before you were born. In your mother's womb. You see men like John the Baptist. God speaks into that man's destiny and speaks grace over him even before he's born. The Bible says he was filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb. That's something he was born with. He had no control over. There are few people who are born like that. Few are born like that. Or you'll access through a man who already has a certain grace. If you're not born with something, you can receive it from a man. It is transferable. Elijah and Elisha, if you study their story, Elisha was not born with a grace that was operating on Elijah. But one day Elijah is walking and then he finds a young man who is among the hidden 7,000 that have not bowed their heads to Baal. And his heart chose to put a mantle on that boy. And the destiny of Elisha changed because Elijah was not a prophet in Israel. He was the prophet of Israel. You remember when he's ascending, the Bible says, Elisha screams, my father, my father, the horseman and chariot of Israel. He was the protector and the strength of that nation. Now, much as there were prophets in that world, there was only one man who was a prophet to the nation. There was only one man with the mantle, the horseman and chariot of that nation. And one young man positioned Elisha was not chosen by God. But the anointing on the prophet Elijah chose him. You see what I'm saying? So sometimes, that is why some of you, when you're around people who hear God, you start to hear God. You remember Saul? He comes in the company of prophets. And the Bible says he began prophesying. In the company of prophets. And he began prophesying. Saul was not a prophet. He just came in the company of men who prophesied. And his frequency connected and he started hearing God. You see what I'm saying? So if you are not born with it and you find a man who can heal, you just need to sit in their company. Find a man who can prophesy, you just need to sit in their company. It will connect. You understand what I'm saying? When I wanted to learn how business works, I said to look for the most successful businessmen I knew. Because the Bible says that there is treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise. There is treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise. So oil is the anointing, that there is an anointing around wise people. If you were around a wise person, you will become wise. Even if you're born dumb and stupid, if you just sit around somebody who is wise, your brain will start working. Not by your ability, but the function of the transferable grace 
can settle on your life because you're sitting around somebody who is blessed. That is why you define your friends early. Some of you have the worst friends in the world. You are around the wrongest people. You know me, I'm born again, but all my friends, they drink and smoke, but uh, me, I'm good. Ah, give it some time. The cigarette will call you. That bottle will be like... Are you following what I'm saying? So there are things that will come through connection. There are things that will come through connecting with people with graces. Or number three, the Bible speaks of the eunuch that gives himself over to the kingdom. Remember, you're either born a eunuch or you're made a eunuch of men or you give yourself to the kingdom for heaven's sake. That's a man who is consecrating himself. That's a man who is fasting. That's a man who's in prayer. That's a man who is prudent. That's a man who is diligent. That's a man with grit. That's a man with commitment. That's a hard worker. And there's a place for hard workers. There is a place for hard workers. You see? Esau, I'll take you back to the story, did not go with the blessing. But like I said, the day they met with Jacob, Jacob had brought gifts to make peace with his brother. And Esau told him, brother, you can have your things for God has given me more. Why? He did not go with the blessing of Jacob, but he was a hard worker. He was a man of the field. You never forget that. And I have seen in this world that sometimes hard workers, committed people, diligent people, have made more than the gifted, the born gifted. I've seen it. You can either access by these three, but I have discovered over life as I've worked with God, that it's almost as though I've never seen a man complete in the things of the Spirit when they have not connected or accessed through all these three channels. I've seen the completion of a minister. I've seen the completion of any child of God in divine purpose and assignment, even gifting, function, or relate with all these three channels. So I'm saying what you are born with is not enough. You will need a man one day. You will need a man one day. Jesus was the son or is the son of God. He came 100% God. He came into a man, but he came 100% God. But started the scripture. He needed Simeon to put him in his hands and speak a blessing over his life. The proud spirits would say, but he didn't need Simeon. No, you got it wrong. If he didn't need Simeon, he needs the principle. So if he didn't need Simeon, he will need some other man. He was 100% God, but God knew that this boy needed a father figure. Even though he's his heavenly father, you'd think, oh, no, that's enough. I mean, if you have a heavenly father and this guy can talk to you and you can hear him, why would you need an earthly parent? Oh, no. He knew that there are things he would not teach Jesus in his childhood life, except if he had a father figure present to be able to communicate these things. That's why I can never emphasize father figures in the lives of children. As a pastor, I have seen the most broken things and when you ask questions, the father was absent. And it's most painful when they enter marriage. I have pastored for 20 years now, even though I'm young, I started early. But I can tell you in my sessions, I find that people who are not raised by their own fathers have the biggest troubles in marriage. Do your research, you'll see. So the father's voice is important. That's why I tell all the bulls in this house, take your responsibility serious. <laughs> it's not about bringing children in the world, you have to be great fathers. 
be present in the lives of your children. Somebody shout amen. See, so God needed him. When they took him in the synagogues, they needed to do some of these ceremonies with these people. They needed the wise men for provision. So if he needed John to baptize him, Jesus would have just gone in the water. We then come out and say, you wait there. See, I know people, if they were Jesus, they would take themselves in the water. <laughs> now, you know, Jesus did not circumcise him. He needed a man to circumcise him. God, yes, 100%. Because that's just a divine pattern. You cannot run away from it. It doesn't matter how gifted you are at birth, one day you will need a man to speak into your destiny. Some of us who were born with so much, I am among those people that were born with so much. God appeared to my mom when she was six months. He told her things. My naming came at that age. So there's things that are connected to my birth that I know somehow were chosen of God, but they could not be awakened until I came in contact with certain anointings. You see what I'm saying? But also, it's not enough to say, oh, I was born with this and this man laid hands on me, therefore, I'm guaranteeing everything coming ahead. I must yield myself to study, to prayer. I read almost six hours every day of my life and more. Every day of my life. For as long as I can remember since the consecration. Every day of my life. And I'm not just reading about, no, quantum physics, what, space. I'm reading everything. Why am I doing that? Because I need to wet the what? The axe. So I don't need to apply so much strength because wisdom is profitable to direct. You see what I'm saying? So to say, oh, I was born and I'm given this and probably a man laid hands on me to, you know, awaken what is on my life. It's not enough. I have to apply myself to study. I have to read. I have to be relevant because I'm talking to people who went to school. You're not first and second dimensional. You're not pragmatic. Your minds are oriented. Perhaps everything I'm speaking about, there's a man in this house who even knows better than I, but he's sitting and he's listening to me. <laughs> Do you see where I'm coming from? So I better get it right. I better get it right. There's probably a guy right now in the park eh, with his pen is marking. Nah. That is he said is not right. I don't agree. But let's go. Yeah, that's right. Okay, that's right. Nah, nah, nah. So somebody's going to ask him, how is the salmon? Mm, he's on his way. <laughs> Getting there. God is still dealing with a young man. <laughs> Fire! <laughs> you see? So back to what I was trying to tell us here. You need the three. You need the three. You need the three. One day you will need to be blessed by a man. One day there are certain doors that will not open until a man says, enter. You'll see it as you continue growing. When you're younger, you think you have everything figured out. As you continue to grow, you start to realize how big God is and how the world is big and how you will not know everything all the time. But there's a man out there who knows what you don't know and has what you're looking for. And some of you, you're frustrated where you are because in your pride, you did not receive from the vessel God had chosen for you in the time when you needed it. Now that's what explains the challenges you're dealing with now. You think it's the devil, you're going to fast, you're going on mountains. I tell people, if you're the kind who prays a lot, fasts a lot and does everything and something is not changing in your life, 
Chances are your healing or deliverance is not going to come in a prayer realm. It's not going to come from a fasting realm. Otherwise, you'd have been free. It's going to come through a knowledge realm. That's why I tell people in humility, you always go before God and ask him, what am I missing? You'll be amazed if you're willing to hear. He will answer you. He will answer you. What am I missing? What am I missing? And one day he'll tell you, go make peace with this individual. You go and make peace. You see? And then you see things healing. You see things healing. I was dealing with a girl one time. She had been born again for more than seven years and she had failed to speak in tongues. She tried everything, everything. So she comes in my meetings once and says, in anger, why haven't I received tongues? Thank God I got a word of knowledge. Thank God I got a word of knowledge. And the Lord revealed to me that one of her family members, she was angry and bitter with one of the family members. You know, bitterness frustrates the whole of the spirit. That's why Simon the sorcerer is asking for the spirit. The Lord tells him, no, in you is a girl of bitterness and a bond of iniquity. First repent from that. Fix your heart. You see? So I tell this girl, forgive. I mentioned the person, family member, and what had been done to her. She cries and then let's go. Next day she told me, she woke up and her mouth was speaking in tongues. Do you know those tongues that don't come because you're ready? No, she went to sleep that evening. She didn't speak in tongues immediately. So in her sleep, she wakes up. You know, what's happening? What's happening? Praise the Lord. Baraka means to praise. When he says, I have blessed thee, your name shall be great. That blessing makes you great. And he says, and you shall be a blessing. The second word there is barakao. It's a root of baraka. But barakao means to become a source of blessing, to become a gift, to benefit people, to carry a generous spirit. I have blessed you that you might become a gift to your generation. I have blessed you that you might benefit your people. I have blessed you that you might become a source of blessing. When you understand the mystery behind the source of blessing, it means everything God has given you, you can actually multiply in another man. Come on! And it's a failed life if you ever leave this world without a multiplication of yourself. That means you did not leave your mantle behind. That's a life wrongly lived. You all must leave your mantles. We don't ascend with our mantles because they're not functional in heaven. In heaven, you don't go as a prophet. God, I need a prophetic voice. <laughs> in heaven, you don't ascend with a healing anointing. There are no lame men. There are no crippled bones. You understand what I'm saying? We leave our mantles on the earth. And your success is in how many people are able to receive of your mantle. If every man can receive a piece of it or a whole of it, then you have been a success. You see, some of you are like what the Jews call the Dead Sea. Have you heard of the Dead Sea in Scripture? Do you know why it's called dead? Because it receives, but it does not give out. Some of you are like the Dead Sea. You're takers, but you're not givers and extenders of the life and blessing or grace God has given you. If you must give it, it's on a price. That means you're transactional. You've heard of pastors who say, I'm not going to pray for you until you give me $500. To have an appointment with a man of God, you need $1,000. To have lunch with him, you need $3,000. I was in South Africa one day and I had some guy, to have lunch with a man of God for one hour, you pay these thousands of dollars. And I'm thinking, ah, you have to pay your way to what God gave this man freely. 
Usually such people never multiply the grace of their lives. No. They only explore those which are already gifted by God and take advantage to extend their personal gifts on them and that's called spiritual abuse. That's abusing. That's using. You see? Eli's generation was fairer than our generation because Eli would lose the voice of God and still know that God is talking to a young man and he will enable this young man to hear God. Our generation... If you come to him and tell him, Eli, did you call me? He'll remember what you forgot in the car and says, yeah, go and get my phone. Did you understand what I just said? At that particular point, remember his need. I said, by the way, I'm broke. Oh, yes, I called you. Give me some money. Oh, you're spiritual. You mean you had me? At least Eli's generation, even in the fallen state, they were zealous for the next move of God. They would say, if you're no longer speaking to me, show me the man you're raising, I'll enable him. Because even in his most fallen state, Eli had a love of God. It was in there. Today our prophets kill their own sons. If they hear that God has spoken to him, they want to shoot him the next day. Kill him, get him off the face of the earth. Why is God speaking to him? That's the generation we're living in. Are you following what I'm saying? So, back to the story here. You become a source of blessing. That's the only reason why God gave you wealth. That your wealth will extend to other people. The reason why God gave you that wonderful mind that interpreted science, that you might be able to extend the grace of God operating on your life unto another man and freely. Freely have we been given or received. Freely do we what? Do we give? That is why I tell every man at the sound of my voice, you carry the responsibility to raise another one like you. Not necessarily from your house. I also see parents who are struggling to raise in their house what God didn't put in their house. So they are forcing their children to become what God didn't put in their house. Because the appointments of God don't follow bloodlines. And some of the people, their problem is that God didn't raise their own biological children. So if he raises another one who was not raised in their house, that must be a false minister. If I was raised in some people's houses, oh my goodness. You see what I'm saying? But God does not need to raise from your house. And if it doesn't, it's okay. If you are part of another man who was not raised in your house, but you're the father, because Joseph was not the biological father of Jesus Christ. But in raising Christ, he elevated James and Jude. He elevated James and Jude. James became the first pastor of the Jerusalem church. Not because he was related to Jesus but because Joseph raised Jesus right. Can I prove it? Can I prove it? When James is talking about Jesus Christ in James chapter 1, verses 1, see how he introduces himself. He says, I am James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He does not say, I am James, the brother of Jesus. He's not claiming it by bloodline. Because he knows Jesus is not in his life by biological function. Are you following what I'm saying? When Jude, their brother, is introducing himself, he says, I'm Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James. But they cannot claim that we are Jesus' brother because they are not relating with Jesus by blood. They are relating with Jesus by spirit. You see? That's why some of you, you might not be able to receive from your own blood because they were anointed by God. It becomes so hard. The day you think, the day you think that you receive from a person because you're related to them is the day you lose the pattern of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
That is why when God starts to raise the anointed in your house, separate the blood from the anointed. That anointing is not inherited. It can be in your house or in another man's house. And this anointing can benefit a man in another house and not benefit you the immediate blood because it's not subject to blood. Do you understand? The anointing operating on my life is not exclusive to my blood relatives. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not obliged to them because I'm related to them by blood. They must understand the pattern of God. That's why you've never seen my family take advantage in this house. Never. My father's never had an opinion. My mother's never had an opinion. They don't. We're not that kind of people. But I know people, oh, if their mothers, oh, oh, oh. Remove that mic. Take away that skin. I don't like that boy. Let him sit in the back. My mom has no opinion over this house. She's a submitted daughter. <laughs> Yet, when we go home, I kneel before her as my mother. I don't stand up on her. I kneel before her. She knows the difference. When she's sick, she doesn't call her son. No, she calls Apostle Grace. Yeah? But when she needs to fix something in the house, like in the time when I was to marry, she called me as her son and told me, hey, I want to see you now as my son. Get married. Okay, mom, I knelt. Bless me. When I'm sick, she says, Apostle! <laughs> then she's sick. So I lay hands and she's healed. One time she had a very bad back and I'll never forget she could not walk. She lay there for weeks on the ground. She couldn't walk. And I remember I was coming from ministry and uh, the disc was uh, out of line or something. Yeah. And she couldn't move. My mother couldn't move. So I get into the house. I'll never forget. She said, man of God. <laughs> so I lay hands on this woman. Jumped up and walked. You know? In fact, I told you, my first stage four cancer, miracle, a woman was remaining with one month to die. Doctors had told her four weeks at most. She comes to say bye to my mother. She told him, no. There's a man of God here in the boys' quarters. He's praying. I just need to wake him up and tell him that you have cancer. You'll see what this boy can do. Boo, boo, boo. Grace! Grace! This one has cancer. Kuba de Gasota! <laughs> More than 13 years ago, that woman is still alive. But the doctors had told her the size of your tumor, we can't even operate. She was like a pregnant woman. Yes, she was in her 60s. Now I think she's in her early 80s and she's preaching the gospel. You see? But my mom could not receive from me as a son. She has to recognize that there's something on this man that is. That's my point, that it might come in your house, but it might not come in your house. But if it doesn't come in your house, you still have to be willing to release on the available vessel. I've seen pastors who are forcing their sons to be pastors. And you look at the boy, he's not. But this is a family inheritance. <laughs> boy, I built a lot here. If I die, what are you going to do? No. Whether my own biological children take on or they don't, they matter. But I need to raise somebody in my generation to take on when I'm gone one day. And they don't need to be my blood. If they are, thank God. But if they are not, it's still okay. Because it's not by bloodline. Somebody shout hallelujah. Hallelujah.
When you understand that you're blessed to be a blessing, you realize that you are not balanced in the spirit, neither are you disciplined in the spirit. When you don't take the responsibility of the blessing of God on your life, you are blessed to be a blessing. You are at a workplace and you have a job and you can save of two, three, four hundred thousand or a million shillings. Extend that to somebody. Yes, you can pay all the fees of your children and have extra. I'm not talking about the person who is borrowing to pay fees. But in some of you, you can pay fees and still have a little more. Get one child. They don't need to pray in a school your children are going to because your children's school might be very expensive. But you can get a child who comes from a school and probably they pay 10% of your child's fees. Get that one and tell them I'm going to take you to school. And then invest your life in that one. Why? Blessed to be a blessing. Some of you, you're outside the cup of sleeping hungry. But there are people who are sleeping hungry amongst us. Isn't it? So you commit to yourself and say, no, you know, I've seen an old woman that sleeps hungry. You know? Let's make sure that this old woman has some to eat every weekend. For some of you, it's just cancelling one weekend to go out with the boys. And 200,000 shillings is enough to take a child to school or feed a hungry person. Blessed to be a blessing. But some of you, everything you receive, you have to take it. You have to eat it. Hey, you never have money. But yet you change cars. But when people have a need, you don't have money. You build, you buy things, they hear you do deals and your deals fail. <laughs> you invest millions and they die there. But when they need from you, you don't have what? Money. Have you been around people who don't have money? Serial, don't have monies. But when they need a new phone, it's there. When they need a new house, a car, when they need clothes, anything they need. They need a trip, they have. But when somebody needs, they don't have. Always remember someone less than you. Of course, there's wisdom not to enable the rebellious. You know some of you find rebellion. You understand what I'm saying? You don't know the difference between helping somebody and enabling them. If your boy is 25 and he's a graduate in school and he's still in your house and you're giving him 1 million shillings every month or 500,000 shillings every month, you're enabling, you're not helping, you're spoiling him, you're finding rebellion. Some of us, by 22, our fathers wanted us out. My father used to wake us up at 6 a.m. Boop, boop, boop. Get out and look for a job. Where does someone go at 6 a.m.? Hey, by the time we're 18, 19, he tells you, Mwe, this thing's nothing is here for you. When I sat my primary seven, 13 years, morning, boo, 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 I go to a job. What? 13 years. So I thought maybe he's calling me to some place where I'll be stamping his stuff. The guy took me to a, a factory. And then I was assigned that day, you're going to be putting labels on drinks, tying them, putting equipment, carrying boxes. 13. 13. But I thank God, because it made me the man I am. I'm a hard worker. So at 13, I made my first salary or wage. Some of you, your boys are 25, and they can't even leave your house. Some of you are 27. Some of you are 40 but you still don't know how to leave your mother's house. <laughs> uh, I wish I had a stick. <laughs> I'll chase you out with a stick. No, Apostle, you don't understand. No, you, you don't understand. How can you have hands and legs and you're begging? 
I don't get that. That's why on the streets, I don't give those ones. These mothers with hands and legs, no. I tell her, do you want a job? She insists I bring her here and she sweeps. How do you have legs and hands and you're begging? Do you understand what I'm saying? Leave that for the cripple. Even the crippled people now have been elevated. They are awakened. You find a crippled person. I remember there's a guy in this ministry who was in prison for long. Came out of prison. Eat businesses. From scratch. Nothing. Started buying vegetables. Turning them to hotels. Driving. What? It showed me his first car. Improved the car. The guy is driving well. He's there sleeping well. They're living well. They're eating well. His kids are in the best schools. From prison. With nothing. He realized that I can go to a garden and get vegetables and take them to a hotel and they buy them. And then some of you, you don't even know where the prisons are. And you're 26. And you're still asking for your mother money. I'm telling you the things you should have been told. All the things you refused to listen. Now they found you in church. If you don't listen to me and leave the church, hey, the world will look for you and tell you. We must be hard workers. Tell your neighbor, we must be hard workers. <laughs> and what hurts me is that same young man in his father's house is the one who tells you, I found a wife. Then you say, eh? <laughs> what? I found a wife. I'm ready to settle. You tell him, do you have a job? He says, no. But I have faith. But I have faith. If by the time you got to falling in love and finding a wife, you don't have money, you don't have faith, you're lying. Come on. Faith without works is? Got a job. Why believe God? What do you mean you believe God? What do you mean you believe God? <laughs> Are you following what I'm saying? Back to blessed to be a blessing. Now, you pour out. You pour out yourself. I told people when I was banking, when I was hired, that day I was hired, I went through the ranks very quickly. I grew very fast. And I'll never forget I trained in the first desk, second desk, third desk, unusually, in one year. And by the time I was on the third desk, towards the end of that year, I was made supervisor. And there are people around me who I used to work with, and they can all tell you, I used to want to make sure that everyone was put on that table and they were new, and I knew the table. I told them. I invested time. I always used to invest in time because I believe in giving what God has given me. You see, and I remember I used to train these guys and train them, you train one of them, you train the other, you train the other, you train the other, you train the other. So every time my manager was looking for somebody to train someone who is new, they knew it wasn't a burden to call me. Grace, there's this new girl. Should I know how to handle personal banking? Oh, send her up. We sit and teach her, you teach her, you teach her, two, three, four, five months, weeks, she's on. Hands on. And then you leave like a sage. This wise guy sits back when they're stuck. So what do I do about this? Ah, <laughs> man, you know so much. Oh, yeah. You see? But it's a good thing. I remember the day I was leaving the bank to go to another bank and I was promoted then as branch manager. I was very young. In fact, I, during that time, there was a story. I was like the youngest manager in the country. So I remember there was this lady. I got a prophetic word and the Lord tells me, this is the one going to take over your office when you leave. I was supervisor then. And it gladdened my heart that this was somebody I had trained myself. You see? And up to today, that young woman is still banking. 
And God has elevated her and grown her in many spaces. But we still carry that relationship and still sit over a cup of tea. And she says, thank you because you invested in me. Some of you, you are so selfish. Huh? They give you somebody on the desk and they tell you, train them. Uh, I'm busy, you know. Even pastors, one pastor called me and told me, you know, Apostle Grace, when you're revealing secrets in that accent, don't reveal them all. Because if you tell the secrets of your ministry and one of your pastors gets that mystery, he could take the whole church. <laughs> what? The Bible says with no contradiction. The blessed is lesser than the blesser. Nobody can ever do better in what I teach them. Although the Bible says it's enough for a student to be like their master. You understand what I'm saying? Nobody can ever be better than you if you taught them. Or at least... If somebody ever told you, never think you're better. Never think you're better. That's why my first teacher in primary is my best friend and my oldest, and she's in this ministry. Because I still look at her as my teacher. Some of you don't have old friends. My old friend, primary one, Mrs. Oringo. She's in this ministry, one of my best friends. You see? Because I keep my teachers. And I also know those who didn't teach me, though they claim they did. I know the difference. <laughs> Have you ever been around people who said, I told you, and you're like, when? <laughs> <laughs> the student should recognize it, <laughs> isn't it? It's like a man saying, I'm your father. There's something wrong when you find a man telling a child, I'm your father. The child should know. <laughs> you should know your father. You understand what I'm saying? I've seen pastors who tell people, you, God has told you to come and submit in my ministry. That's wrong. That's wrong. Let God speak to them. Don't impose your destiny on theirs. You see what I'm saying? That's wrong. I'm helping somebody. Now, listen. Pour out at your workplace, whatever you're learning. Be eager to give to another. If something has helped you out, give it to another person and tell them this helped me. Some of you, you know that this helps you. But then you let the person say, ah, maybe you want them to fail. Say, so let them perish. Let them perish. No, 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 no. That's not the attitude. That's why we're before you every Thursday, every Sunday, every weekday. Your devotion is coming every morning because as much as I've been given, much is required of me to give. If I don't do that, I'm not growing it. If I don't do that, I'm not growing it. Every time I stand on the altar, I feel the unction of the Spirit channing deep revelations in my life. Why? Because it grows as you give. It grows as you give. It grows as you give. But also... It means that many of you who are here, you have to invest in people beyond you. Invest in people beyond your family. If you don't have money, but you have a skill, give it to a young man. Always remember the poor. The Bible says in the New Testament, remember the poor. Psalms 41, I wanted to read it for some of you. This thing has saved me. There was a time I went through a great trouble in my life a couple of years ago. And that trouble was going to destroy me and nobody knew. It's one of those things that were going to destroy me and nobody knew. I saw everything that was going to happen in vision. And I started to pray because I needed to come out of this. But you see, when you look after the poor, God builds certain covenants with you. That's what Psalms 41 says. Listen, blessed is he that considereth the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. When you look after the poor, when you're in trouble, God remembers what you did for the poor. 
Now imagine if you're the Dead Sea. You see? There's certain things you're going to come out of not because you prayed or fasted, but because you considered the poor. Verses 2. He says, the Lord will preserve him and keep him alive. There are people right now who are alive. Everything in their body spells death, but they're alive because they're raising some of them somewhere. And God figures that if this child is left fatherless, their destiny will go to waste, yet I have something to do with this one. So he preserves the life of this man or woman because of that child. Some of you, you, food has never left your house because you had somebody else's child in your house. The day you take that child out of your house, food will leave your household. Some of you. He says he'll preserve him and keep him alive. He shall be blessed on the earth and you will not deliver that man unto the will of his enemies. That's why there are some people, they can't do anything to me. Because the tear of the orphan, when it kneels to pray for me, it's enough to deal with anything. Oh! Glory to God. You must understand these secrets. God cannot lead you to the will of your enemies because he sees that a lot of people's lives are at stake when your one life is touched. Know how to deal with the things of God. But if you're not a giver, if you're not generous of spirit, if, if you're not adding anything to this world, God just simply says, besides, it's not helping. Let's bring him home. He might have some conversations with Elijah. When the poles are bored, they can talk. Because going to heaven is not bad. All of us want to go one day. Not yet because we have purpose. You understand what I'm saying? You remember what the Bible says about the branch that produces no fruit? Yes, it's burnt. It's cast off. You see? Back to 41. Psalms 41. He says he shall preserve that man in life. He shall not hand him over to the will of his enemies. Verses 3. The Lord will strengthen him upon the bed of languishing and you will make his bed in sickness. He can speed a man to health because of their responsibility to the poor. Do something for the poor. Do something for the poor. So I was telling you that story of mine. And then during that time, a lady comes with a young girl. She was about 11, 12 years. That the girl had dreamed a dream about Apostle Grace and she wants to talk to me. And they sat the whole day waiting. And oh God, that was a day I had a lot of appointments. I was tired. I also get disturbed with people who come to see me without appointments. Because that means I'm frustrating other people's appointments, but they insist they have to see me. I said, okay, yeah, come. So this mother said, let me excuse you. And so the girl sits there. And this girl, word by word, starts to narrate everything that was happening in my life, that which only I and God knew. And then she said, but the Lord says, you have overcome everything. She prophesied everything. And then he said to me, because you consider the poor. So I asked the mother, which school is she? She said, ah, we've been struggling. In fact, even last time she didn't go to school. Voila. I told her this girl, whether she wants to study in America or Germany, I'm going to educate her until the day she's tired of going to school. That one entered my list. So me and my wife have a list, a long list of kids, long list. Some are in secondary, some are in international schools, and these are orphans. Some are in poor schools, some are in moderate schools, some are far, some are near, some don't even know us. We have this list. Every time we make sure their fees is ready. 
You see what I'm saying? Now, that's a testimony. Because we cannot tell you what we have received by God through doing that. And we've seen even what God has done for our own biological. Because when you look after other people's children, believe me, God will look after yours. Better. You see what I'm saying? Invest time in another person. But some of you, even if an orphan visits, I'll let her go back. She have a house, it's eight bedrooms. How long do you think it takes for this kid to grow? If she has no parents and she has nowhere to live, take on. One time a guy visited my home and when he visited, he died there. <laughs> like he visited with his son and then he went, I think, to visit his uh, relative just two, three kilometers away and he died in the same area. And the son was left there. The mother is in Rwanda. We could have just taken this kid on the bus back. My father said, no, let the boy grow. Just like that. That's the house that raised me. So that's how we see life. And some of you come from those families where you are raised with every person. Those things come with a blessing. They come with a blessing. And some of you are in that family where you overhear your mother say, she has to go tomorrow. No wonder. You're now also looking for where to live. No, I'm saying don't be selfish with life. There is enough for us all. And God can look after anyone through you. Always be open to help. And you can go to the third level of maturity where I want many of you to go. When I learned this in university, I read that portion of scripture in Corinthians that God is able to abound all grace, that you'll have all sufficiency in all things and you will abound in every good work. And I remember on my monthly upkeep in university, half of that which would last me two weeks, I used it for every month, that's three months, because I calculated that if I would save money the last two weeks of every month, I would actually educate a child. And yet the money my father used to give me was very little. So I used to save half of that and take a child to school. Why? Because, again, in the mature stance that I, I want to invite some of you, I'm telling you, you don't need to have everything to do it. You just need to have the right heart. You just need to have the right heart. You see? So if you're mature enough, you don't need to even make all of that money. You just need to begin from where you are and what you're able. If your pocket money can keep a child, and you know you can take off a weekend and eat less, just to educate one, begin by faith. You'll be amazed where God will take you. You'll be amazed. God has blessed me above and ahead of many of my peers because I understood these things early. And I remember I would save off my two weeks. And then my roommate and I, we understood each other. Because sometimes you also used to contribute. Then you find that you're eating like, uh, I remember those days, would buy buns and water. You know bread? So you get bread and water. Supper. And we grew. The Bible says the child grew. <laughs> Why? Because somebody's kid needs to go to school. What do you lose? So instead of eating meat that weekend, let's leave it. Let's save this money, the young man was called Ronnie, for him to go to school. And I save, the boy goes to school. And he finished his senior six on our pocket money. You see? And since then, there are many people who have graduated on our own giving. And we thank God for that. And not only us as, as an individual, as a ministry, we do that every month we give to churches. Every month. In COVID, we gave millions and millions of shillings to hospice. 
Not because we were looking for any favors from there, but people were dying and there was a need. We fed pastors, you saw. We're packing clothes, taking them every week. We're buying land for churches every month. We're giving, we're contributing of people that are not submitted to us. Yet we're looking for about $50 million to build church. Do you understand what I'm saying? And we're going to build it. Oh my God. We're going to build one of the biggest, most amazing sanctuary East Africa and Central has ever seen. Glory to God. But while we have the need, we realize that we cannot let this flow until we release our hands to. You see what I'm saying? But every month you're giving more. That means you are prospering more. So with that kind of foundation, I don't need to manipulate a man. Oh, you know, when you give, the answer, no. I don't talk about money. You see, I just bless your offerings because there are principles underlying. You understand? When we preach you into diligence, the mean spirits cannot be around us. Our ministry, and all of you guys, I can thank you, your givers. Manifest what? Fanero is a giving ministry. That's how we've learned. That's who we are. That's how we live. That's how we live. I partner with Fanero. Me and my wife give even to the ministry. Why? Because that's how we think. You see, blessed to be a blessing. But you even learn to give beyond yourself. That's maturity now. Many of you don't have that faith and level of maturity. But I can invite some of you there. Sometimes you have to even be generous beyond what you are able. Of course, people will take you for granted. Of course, people will misunderstand you. Of course, some people will judge you. Of course, some people will speak evil about you. Some people will misinterpret you. Some people will misrepresent you. That's okay. There's one thing you can never fake. Fruit. Fruit. Let them judge you, but they will not judge your fruit. And you realize all who will judge you. No man who judges you will produce more fruit than you. None. Nobody who will judge you will produce more fruit than you. So accept that there are occupational hazards. They come with a job. You see? Expect them. But don't switch off and carry bitterness because of that. Stay a man or woman of God. Keep giving. Keep doing. Give of your skills. Give of your gifting. And lastly... There's also a word here called a share. It's also a word meaning blessing. But in Hebrew, Psalms 1.1, it says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of scorners. The word there, blessed, is not barakah or barak. It's echsher, right? And echsher means happy. Happy is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scornful. Some of you, the reason why your life is not happy, you sit in seats of men which scorn others. They're talking about the woman of God and you're contributing. Oh no, me, I didn't contribute. I just sat there and I listened as they were speaking. What are you even doing there? What are you doing in the conversations about other people? What are you doing there? Do you know a certain conversation can bring sorrow in your life for years? Yeah, so is it worth it? No. There are places I don't see it. I've been in places where some pastors want me to incriminate others. And I told them, I don't know anything. Even when I know a lot. I just say, I don't know. And then I stand up. Guys, eh? I have a phone call. There's somewhere I'm supposed to preach. What am I trying to do? I'm trying to save myself. 
from carrying unnecessary sorrow. Don't sit among the seats of sinners. Some of you, all your friends are crazy. But show me one good friend of yours. None. You don't have any friendship at church. Eh, what's with you? Are you following what I'm saying? You must not frustrate the spirit of joy on your life. Hallelujah. So as you continue to grow, you'll understand why the Bible says that the blessing of the Lord maketh rich and addeth no sorrow. But that blessing is barakal. Actually, it's not barak. Who has got in it? The blessing of the Lord maketh rich and it addeth no sorrow. It's barakal, right? That part in you that gives, that one maketh rich and addeth no sorrow. Now you'll understand that it's not so much in what you receive from God, but in what you're willing to be able to give. Are you following what I'm saying? So you'll see things changing. You'll see yourself walking in the blessing of the Lord. That's why we give our tithes. That's why we give our first fruits. Ezekiel 44 verse 30. You shall bring the first fruits and the first of your door, the first of your blessing to the priest, that it may cause the blessing, Barakal, to settle in your house. You see what I'm saying? It's those little small things, but they make you a success in life. Can you speak to God? Hallelujah. 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 Mashade gazu katala pakarade. Maso patala kopere de gezando kotelepa. Zekere reko shekere baradagaso katala parade. Roko salando go shika paralalabade. This is where you talk to God about yourself in no way to judge yourself or criticize, but to learn and carry the next conviction to take you to the next place with your God and serve him better. Father, I pray for every man and woman at the sound of my voice. We have heard your word. And we repent where we've not seen things right. And we pray Lord, that may we walk in the wisdom to fulfill all that you have mandated or assigned on our lives and that your blessing that you have given us through us will become a source of blessing that will be a gift that will benefit and profit many through what you have placed upon us because you have told us that's what really makes us rich and addeth no sorrow. That you keep us away from the sorrow of receiving and not being generous. We also pray, Lord, that we'll understand that happiness that comes through obeying your truth. I thank you that every man and woman at the sound of my voice is functional in your blessing and that they're going to see it in their households, their ministry, their families, their children, their relationships, their bodies, their dreams, their aspirations. In Jesus' name, have prayed and believed. Give him a mighty hand of praise. Hallelujah. Now, um, I want to do one more thing before we go. If you're here and you've never given your life to Christ, that's the greatest miracle that could ever happen from heaven. Everything we have prayed or preached belongs to them which are born again. But you can make it yours. Above all, that God gives eternal life, that he shed his blood for you and he was raised for your glory that he has promised that you will never die because you received the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So if you're there and you want to receive him, 
repeat this verse after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you because you died for my sins and you were raised for my glory. Today, I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. I'm born again. Amen. This sermon has been brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number plus 256-200-999-400 or email us at info at You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Follow us on our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fenero Ministries International. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowship at the Uma Upper Gardens from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. and for our Sunday services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at the Uma Multipurpose Hall. Fenero, make manifest.